For the first time since 2009, Republicans in Missouri are in charge of both the executive and legislative branches. That means plenty of opportunities to pass big-ticket legislation and even more chances for controversy and blame. Senate President Pro Tem Ron Richard will be a big factor in this new reality. The Joplin Republican joins us on another edition of Politically Speaking. Let's hit the music. This is the Politically Speaking podcast, a candid conversation with the Show Me State's biggest political newsmakers. I'm Jason Merzenbaum. And I'm Joe Manis. That's Eric Reitens, Navy <laughs> SEALs running for governor, and I'm really, really glad to be on with you, Jason and Joe. I'm going to push back on these regulators. I'm doing this for the people. I was encouraged along the way, not just by my family, but by a lot of teachers and professors and knew when I was in college that I would run for office someday. We're very excited about the prospect of having some more free market solutions. Even though after the conversation, I still might not agree. We want our listeners to get a real sense of what drives these people. They're actually people with a story to tell. Welcome to the Politically Speaking Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Rosenbaum, a reporter with St. Louis Public Radio. I am recording this live, which is kind of an oxymoron, from the Missouri State Capitol. I am in uh, our our special guest's beautiful office right now, and our special guest is today. Ron Richard. The Senate President Pro Tem of the Missouri Senate. Thanks for having me. I'm sorry I haven't been able to get on your broadcast sooner, but I just haven't been able to get to St. Louis as often as I'd like. Well, we we forgive you for that. Okay, it's it's well, not it's not always easy to get to uh, J- from Joplin to St. Louis. So I just uh, thought, you know what? I'm going to bring myself to your office, and you don't really have to go anywhere. That's, that's fine. I'm in St. Louis a lot. It's just I'm usually I'm pretty strict on my calendar with events and things I do, but. Well, I'll try to do better and get by to see you at your office or your you studio. Are, you are always welcome to stop by our studio, and, and my colleague Joe Manis will be a part of our, our show. Sure, sure. So um, this is this is a great honor to interview you, not only because you're the only person in Missouri history to be both Speaker of the House and Senate Pro Tem, but because I've known you for almost 10 years. I knew you when you were just a, a plain old state representative in a three-person office on, I think, the second floor. And before we get to any issues, as is customary whenever we tape a podcast with a first-time guest, I want you to tell the listeners a little bit about yourself. I know that you actually have roots in St. Louis. Give a sense of who Senator Ron Richard is. Um, In St. Louis, I guess you're not anybody unless you go to school in St. Louis. What you you always ask is where do you go to high school? My my colleague Joe Mann has has a running gag where we ask where do you go to high school. Well, I didn't go to high school in St. Louis. went to grade school at St. Williams in Woods and Terrace, which is no longer there. I think it's part of St. Kevin's uh, parish. But that being said, um, we lived in St. Louis for a while. My dad worked for Falstaff Beer years ago. Um, uh, Didn't like the travel when we moved back to southwest Missouri Um, we uh, are pretty tight family Um, we're in the bowling business in several states together over over years Um, we've downsized since then and we're down to two one in Arkansas one in Missouri Um, I started in politics in college or in high school actually and uh, liked the tempo I liked the vision and uh, started that in high school and continued in college um, helped people, helped events, helped uh, um, people with issues. And um, when term limits came about, I started thinking about state government. But in between, I was in City Hall and went to the mayor and those things. And just because I was involved in and had a, a yearning for job creation, economic development, 
and that's always been what my goal is. Didn't you run for the state senate in the 90s as I did, well? I ran against Marvin Singleton. I resigned as being mayor and ran for senate, understanding, and I may be the only one in the history of the world ever done this, I figured you never could serve two masters. So how can you be a mayor and run for a political office uh, making two constituencies uh, happy? So I resigned, ran against Marvin, lost, which is the best thing that ever happened. Why Wait, was it the best thing that ever happened? I'd have never been in the majority. Yeah. If uh, I'd have won that race. So I waited. Uh, I followed Chuck Surface, the state rep from, that you know, from Joplin. Um, uh, got in to, uh, with Catherine Hanaway and Rod Jett and the speakers. And luckily I was able to be put on uh, as finally as chairman of economic development, which I thought I'd died and gone to heaven. Still, that was the greatest job. One of the greatest jobs I had in the building. Mm-hmm. Um, after that, um, members came to me, want me to run for Speaker of the House, which I did, and then I ran for Senate. And you know, I don't really don't like talking about myself so much, but I've been very lucky about moving on. Every time there's a door opened, Jason, whether it's majority leader in the Senate or president of the Senate, I've been lucky enough to walk through that door. Uh, but still, my goal is job creation, economic development. Back when it wasn't cool, now it's all cool. Everybody wants to create jobs and. And I've been doing it for 15 years, longer than that with state with city government. But, well, I, uh, I wanted to ask you about that because one of the things that I remember <laughs> about uh, your legislative service before you became speaker is you were, I think, the committee chairman or maybe even the bill handler of the 2007 special session bill um, that included the land assemblage tax credits, which is obviously something that's been very important in St. Louis. Um, it's been about 10 years since that passed. Mm-hmm. I think the Paul McKee project has mm-hmm. had its ups and downs. Mm-hmm. Obviously, the NGA coming into his footprint is, is a big jolt. Looking back at a decade, do you think that that was successful, or do you think that that maybe missed the mark a little bit? When, when uh, I decided to carry that legislation, I thought something needed to happen to inner city St. Louis as well as inner cities, Cleveland, Chicago, whatever. I thought this might be an interesting uh, proposition to develop inner cities. Um, Now to your point uh, that McKee development had its ups and downs, but looking back, if we had not had that land assemblage, NGA would have never happened in St. Louis because they, they, the city of St. Louis, could not have put those parcels together. Um, Now you get in the argument of like tax credits, you don't like tax credits, what's going on now, that's beside the point. But I think that worked, um, and I, that here, I think there's a hearing next door, which is with that yes, just so, here. Yes, just so our listeners know what's going yeah, on. Yeah, it's not like the ghosts of the Senate passed or anything. Well, it, it could be very well happening that it's ghosts of Senate's passed in this office, but yeah, there's a hearing next door, and that's that wall is not necessarily particularly quiet. So thank you for that disclaimer for our listeners, but continue, yeah, Senator. So NGA... Um, I think happened because of land assemblage. Uh, I think it would have been somewhere else we hadn't had it. So that was a tough battle, uh, and you remember that that fight. Uh, so I'll just leave it at that. I, I hope it works. I think it's a model that's still for inner cities, but in the day of tax credits, having people uh, hold their nose now, which I'm not necessarily agree with that concept all the time. But on that particular event, I think it's paid well and it's going to pay dividends for St. Louis and save 
billions of dollars investment and, and five, 6,000 jobs. I'm going to read an excerpt from an article I wrote about you on September 16, 2007. Is it a good article? It's actually an article that reflects poorly on me more than you. Oh, I so can't you, imagine. I was going to say, okay. This, this is going to, it's called Southwest Missouri on the Rise in, the legislative, uh, in, in Legislative Stature. I'm going to read it verbatim. State Representative Ron Richards' elevation to House Speaker in waiting is another instance of a Southwest Missouri politician getting elevated to a prominent legislative post, leadership post. But the former Joplin mayor insisted dubbing him a regional political creature would be a mistake. This is your quote. That is absolute BS, Richards said last week when asked whether his effort to succeed House Speaker Rod Jetton cemented Southwest Missouri's dominance of Missouri politics. Let me tell you something. I've worked with the entire state of Missouri since I've been elected, and anybody who wants to say I'm regional can just leave the building. So That sounds like something I'd say. Yeah. So <laughs> is that philosophy still true today, that you, when, you, when you look at things like economic development or when you are looking at legislation that is impactful? You're not just thinking of southwest Missouri or Joplin. You're thinking of the whole state, which proves my, my question back in 2007 to be well, a bad one. Yeah, you can't when you're a chairman of a major committee, and then when you get in leadership, you can't be regional. Um, but I've always had a global vision of, of what we need to do for a lot of things, whether it's education or whether it's con construction of highways or whether it's uh, charter schools against the other school debate or job creation. You know, I uh, even though I led the charge on some years ago on right to work in the Senate, and I didn't get through the other side of the building, or um, on or, or override the veto, uh, I led the charge on saving the jobs at Ford and Hazelwood uh, years ago. Uh, we had the legislation that brought, uh, we tried to get Chrysler to stay out in Fenton. We had a billion dollar package and they, they moved on. And I mean, it's not that we're trying to do something, you say you're pro-job, uh, pro-economic development, and you're people try to put me in a corner, um, that's not the case. I, I mean, I, I understand job creation and, and employment for everybody. And, uh, but also recognize that I've traveled every governor, including when I started Bob Holden. And I've visited with the Japanese and the Chinese and, and companies from all over the world. And their comment to me was when, when uh, they were getting ready to build a Nissan plant in Tennessee and building, building a truck plant in in South Texas, why is Missouri not considered? What is the four or five top priorities? First, they'd say right to work. Second, they'd say the weather. They like to play golf. Fine, can't do anything about that. Number three, job training. And I said, well, we do a good job in job training, whether it's through union job training, whether it's through our uh, customized training, through uh, our two-year colleges. And uh, uh, good uh, able to get a good quality workforce and I think we're doing a pretty good job of that so I thought I'd just try to start striking out all the uh, top five issues so that we can be more acceptive to um, companies wanting to look to expand and create jobs and uh, maybe come to Missouri and I always ask I've always asked every company comes to Missouri I said when are you going to bring a corporate headquarters to Missouri no one's ever said they're going to, but I figured one day someone's going to. Someone's going to say, you know, it's not being, instead of having maybe Anheuser-Busch move to New York, or I've always asked when I see those leadership, I ask them when they're going to bring it back to St. Louis. I think they're beginning to figure out that 
maybe Anheuser-Busch is St. Louis company, is better off being located as a headquarters in St. Louis rather than New York City where they just get kind of lost in the noise. So. Well, let's let's dive right into issues. I yeah. know that one thing that you have been passionate about, as you just alluded before, is right to work, which yeah. is shorthand proponents use to describe a law which would ban uh, unions and employers from requiring workers to pay dues if they're part a, of a bargaining unit. It's, yeah. a, it's a mouthful, but I have to always explain what it is. Yeah, sure. My question is, I've, I've, I've heard a lot of Republicans say that this is going to create jobs and cause businesses to come to Missouri. I just want to know specifically, what is it about no longer making dues mandatory is, is attractive to businesses? <clears throat> because on its face, it doesn't, there doesn't seem to be a connection yeah. there. Let, let me give you what I believe is the perception of business looking inward, that if you're not a right-to-work state, they won't consider you to come to Missouri. Now, I'm not going to get into the dues thing and if people that are freeloaders and or get part of the benefits and not pay dues. That's not my concern. Understood. My concern is what do consultants and businesses look inward? What are the four or five things that they want to consider before they come to state or expand? That is one of them. That's why I moved to that argument and I say, okay, that's a valid argument. Looking to the south and seeing what's happening Tennessee, Georgia, Alabama, Florida, Texas, and I say, okay. And then I see uh, in Florida when the ships are offloading from South America. Union, non-union working side by side. There's more jobs, more opportunity. You can't get a good, uh, you can't get enough people to go to work and people are moving down there. It, uh, I, I think it's something that we need to look at. I think it's important and I think it has merit, so. Is it because businesses like dealing with unions that are weaker? Because it's perceived that right to work weakens unions in many instances. I don't know if it does or not. And I'm not going to debate that with you. All I'm saying is that is the argument that major corporations are looking in and said, if you are these three or four things, we will put Missouri in the mix to move that BMW headquarters or uh, Mercedes-Benz company that went to the south and consider Missouri. And right now they do not. I say we need to be part of the mix. Another thing that I've heard is because you, you represent a constituency that borders Arkansas, Kansas, Oklahoma, uh -huh. which are all right-to-work states. Mm -hmm. the, the, the reason why a lot of Southwest Missouri politicians support it is they feel like they're losing business opportunities to those states. Do you have any tangible examples to where that's occurred in, in, in your business career or in your legislative career? Um, if you're asking, has there ever been a, a significant uh, – someone come to Joplin and say, we're not coming to that because – um, you're not trained workforce, right to work, all that other stuff. Uh, at this point, I do not. Now, Chamber of Commerce people have said there is. They haven't given me those companies, haven't told me the specifics, and, and uh, I don't know. Um, I do know that Nissan, that went to uh, Nashville, have told me, that's the my by the way, before you continue, that's actually a very beautiful grandfather clock that's, that's a, right behind you. Right, right. That's a, donated to the state capitol, and we're going to put it in another room when we get the remodel. So. This, is the, this is the fun of the podcast, yeah. everybody, but continue, sir. Yeah, that's not my heart gonging because it's too much of a question or something, you know, <laughs> or head banging. Um, I, my goal is to put Missouri on the map 
the consultants and business looking inward. Do I have any necessarily specific examples? Again, Nissan told me they wouldn't come to Missouri because we're not right to work. They went to Nashville. BMW went to the south, uh, Alabama or, or Georgia, I don't remember which. Kia, they said we would consider but for right to work. Um, I said, that's fine, that's all I need to know. I just want to make sure Missouri takes a look. I think it's important, and I think you'll see what happened in Indiana shortly. Are these jobs going to happen overnight? No. It's just a process. You put everything in line, get everything staged with the, with the workforce, with the training, with the education opportunities, with the uh, transportation, and then right to work. I think it's all come together, and I think you'll see a big difference in 12 to 18 months. You mentioned before that you've worked with a lot of governors over the years, uh -huh. including Republican ones. Uh -huh. Eric Greitens is the first Republican governor, I think, in quite a while to mm -hmm. push for right to work because Matt Blunt didn't do it because I don't think the legislative numbers were there. Um, what, as Actually, some, I think we did have the numbers. You did have the numbers? We just he, never did try. He just decided, he made a, from what I've heard, he made a politically calculated decision not to pursue it, to not alienate labor unions. That's yeah. what I've heard. I haven't heard that. But no. my point is, like, we have a governor that supports it now. Yeah. It obviously changes the dynamic. So yeah. if it comes to the Senate, and even if there's a filibuster, I imagine that's going to be previous question pretty quickly and sent to the governor. Is that well, fair to I, say? Uh, we've already had the debate in, in the Senate. I really don't think we're going to have to move the previous question. I don't like doing that if I don't have to. Um, the majority leader is talking to the minority leader. I mean, we'd like to give them plenty of time to debate. We're going to get it done in a timely fashion, but I don't believe we need to move the previous question. Although I will, if or ask the will, if it gets to a point where there's not substantive debate or some uh, thoughts about just killing the legislation or prolonging it, uh, but we're going to give ample debate and let the other side have their opportunity to talk. So I, I you know, I'm, I'm not, uh, I'm very hopeful that we can get through this and some other number of issues. I want to get to some tort reform issues. You know, I think that's where we got it. lawsuits in Missouri. You know, businesses are, Jason, they're come, not coming to Missouri because we have a horrible legal climate. That's as mu more important as, as much as uh, some of the labor reform. I want to ask a more broad question sure, because sure. you have been in a situation before where Republicans controlled the legislative and executive branches during the Matt Blunt administration. And this was before my professional career started, but from mm -hmm. what I've gathered in 2005, the Republicans were able to get a lot done. And then in 2006, 2007, 2008, I don't want to say they ran out of things to do, but they lost a lot of momentum. So now we're in a situation that I think is even different from them. There are more Republicans in the legislature. If, if the governor and the legislature agree on something, it's probably going to become law. Mm -hmm. How do you kind of avoid the pitfalls of 2005 to 2008, 2009, and make sure that you're able to have the momentum for the next four to eight years? Well, when Matt Blunt was governor, I was uh, chairman of economic development, so I really wasn't in leadership understanding what was going on, the dynamics between the House and Senate as far as legislation. What I, what I did, what we did as a committee and what we did as a House and Senate, and John Griesheimer was the chair of economic development over here in the Senate, is we, we wrote almost every economic development bill that's still in the books today, quality jobs, um, uh, started a momentum of getting and, and, and incentivizing businesses to stay in Missouri and come to Missouri. That was my goal. I didn't really care if it was a Democrat issue or a Democrat governor or whatever, and I worked pretty good with Governor Holden, starting out with that, and Governor Blunt, and then Governor Nixon. Um, uh, this is going to be uh, 
with the new Governor Greitens is even going to be more of a, a interesting dynamics because he wants to go full force on job creation and do some things that I agree with. Um, these reforms he's talking about, and there's a whole number of reforms. I mean, um, regulatory reform is probably as much with Department of Revenue as, as anything else we could do. So making business more friendly, make it a little more open, and, and let people do things uh, uh, online rather than have to get in line. I thought that was a kind of an interesting quote he had last night. Well, what were your impressions of his speech last night? Um, it was, you know, it was a good speech. I think he uh, reinforced everything that he talked about on his uh, campaign. But unlike most governors, it was a a, uh, a list of things he'd like to see and ask cooperation from the legislature, and then we'll see what the House and Senate do. I mean, the Speaker and I are going to meet and try to decide how we're going to uh, choose up sides and which legislation is going to go where, so we'll do that in a couple of days. But, I, you know, it's it's fine. I thought he did a nice job. and. He, and, you know, I'm getting to know him a little bit, and he seems like a really nice fella. Yeah, that was going to be Very my next smart. question, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, he's, he's for only being in office a couple of weeks, he's uh, got a handle on the issues. He's done a lot of reading. He understands a lot of the dynamics. Now, if he just get his people in line, and we're going to try to get those through, uh, approved uh, quickly. Um, his cabinet appointees yeah, or, yeah. or things we're, like we're, that. We're waiting on those, yeah, his department heads. Um, so, you know, you know, everybody deserves a chance. And that's just, when I was Speaker of the House, I did that with Governor Nixon, too. You know, I gave him a chance. But uh, this is going to be a uh, unique opportunity. In my final two years in the legislature, I'm going to do some things with a governor and with a speaker that I thought we'd never finish. Now, one of the things that he talked about during the campaign and in his speech was overhauling ethics, which was a priority last year. Um, he wants to ban lobbyist gifts, which I know has run into Senate opposition. He wants to extend the quote-unquote revolving door for uh, lob lawmakers to become lobbyists. Mm -hmm. I, I know that this is a process and some of those things are going to maybe be haggled out between the House and the Senate, but what's kind of your general feel about how the Senate is going to embrace ethics and ethics legislation. Yeah, actually, uh, Senator Kehoe, the majority leader, and I filed an ethics bill yesterday, which models what the Speaker of the House and the Governor would like. Um, and ethics legislation, I tried to do one on Speaker of the House. What's that, five, six, seven years ago with uh, Kevin Wilson handled it. Uh, it was a massive The change. greatest ethics bill in the history of well, the universe? Well, Brian Pratt. Yeah, the real, remember that debate? I do. I mean, I mean so... Ethics has not been new to me and try to uh, uh, change the ethics mentality around this building and the ethics laws as I've been trying to do for, for many, many years. Um, it is with what's going on in Washington, D.C. and some of the behavior around the, the Capitol is coming on the forefront. So we're going to, we're going to do some. Uh, I don't know, you know, if we get it all done, that's fine. If we, but, you know, the revolving door, I tried to do that two or three years ago myself, mm -hmm. and that was stopped. Um, so a number of things I've tried to do. But I've asked this question a lot to people that are strongly supportive of things like Governor Greitens or Speaker Richardson want. It's my feeling like, yes, when you come to the Capitol, the environment may change you. But I think that there's also instances where people are getting elected and they already have pretty outstanding flaws to their character. And they're going to do bad things regardless of these laws. So what's kind of your feeling on that? Because I know you've spoken to that before. I'm going I'm to I'm give you a scenario that 
I, when I was Speaker of the House, I walked in and told my members, if you do anything to embarrass the House or this building, you keep your pants on around here, you keep your behavior as if your, your mother was watching you. And if you, and of course this building is a microcosm of what's going on in the world. If you do something to embarrass me or your other members, I will strip you of all your committees. I will strip you of your parking spot. Uh, and that lasted about two hours. And they, some of these guys started acting up again. And I, there was some penalties for them. Um, I'm not going to tell you who they were, but you can probably figure it out if you want to think back sometime. And, but I'm very strict on the behavior. Once you're elected around here, and if I'm in a leadership charge, whether I was a com committee chairman or if I was speaker or president of the Senate, I'm very strict on behavior, on dress, uh, on respect, not only for the press, even though we've had some disagreements on placement, that's beside the point, and we can talk about that if you want to. Sure. Um, but when you come in this building, you're representing thousands of people. I still get calls, people think I'm still the Speaker of the House, wanting me to help something in Kennett, Missouri, or in Northwest Missouri, and we still do that. I still have staff at, here that help people statewide. I just don't relegate myself to just Joplin, Southwest Missouri. We, we take care of requests from all over the state, sometimes all over the country, when I travel and people need some help with passports and things. I mean, we just, that's what we do, and that's what everybody should well, do. Well, it's interesting you mentioned that, because I, I read, like, a self-published book by your predecessor, Speaker Rod Jetton, who had some pretty immense personal issues, and I'm using that euphemistically. Yeah. And, and you haven't really had those things, because it seems like you came into office with, with a pretty strict moral compass, essentially. Is, is that really what it takes, is you've got to know what you're getting into and and be able to withstand the pressures that come around you and just have some emotional maturity coming into it basically well, i was 55 years old when i came here um most people were ending their career in politics at 55 and i was just beginning i just couldn't hardly wait and i remember walking in the house the first day and i looked into that magnificent room in the house and i said now what do i do now well i thought to myself couple days there, I'm going to do what I've always done. I'm going to try to work on job creation, economic development. That's where I've ended up today. And doors have opened. I've been pretty lucky. I've always had a great staff. And we make things happen. But I do know right from wrong. I do know that, you know, don't do something your mother wouldn't want you to do. And I tell people that all the time. And uh, if you do something, and there's consequences. And I'm not afraid to take those consequences to the MACT if you're going to embarrass this institution and, and it'd make a difference if you're a Democrat or Republican. It, you have respect for each other. And I'm very strict about behavior on the Senate floor, the House floor. Debate is to be debate. It's not to take uh, take it out on somebody or, or, or to be in a court and you think you're interrogating. That's not what we do. It's information. Now when you get debate in the Senate, sometimes it gets interrogative and people's passions rise, but I try to keep it in line um, and, and have it respectful, and I'm very, very firm on that. Um, it, since you brought up this topic, you, you mentioned that there has been some issues with, with the press and the Senate. The Senate table did get moved, and I just want to preface this question that I respect Senate protocol immensely. I always dress well. I would never even think of, like, walking across the Senate or 
you know, I always fill out a form whenever I take pictures. But I do know that that decision caused a lot of consternation because it ended a pretty long tradition. And I wanted you to, I, I know this is not a subject you like to talk about much, but I did want to ask why you did that and whether you, it, the situation could have been handled differently. <clears throat> the press is not necessarily the group of individuals that require a lot of respect anymore because you have so many young people sitting at that table that don't know the protocol as some of the olders, Jim Wolfe and Bob Pretties and, and others. And what happened, there was a discussion on the Senate floor, actually between a couple Democrats. They were talking about negotiating with Republicans or with themselves. And a member of the press took that and tweeted it out. There was discussion between uh, Senator Tom Dempsey when he was on the dais with one of my one of our chairmen about issues, something coming up, and, and that was tweeted out. Now, two things. The power of the press is immense. But when you don't respect the, the room enough to hold those, that information in confidence of what's going on because that is debate, that is negotiation. There's been no decision made. Um, um, I thought that was an abridgment of the fourth estate, the press. And after looking at what's going on in Washington, D.C., I thought we need to move the press to another level and let them be the same place as in the Fed, which is up on the upper gallery. And another issue is that I needed the room for staff when members are on debate that they could help the senators and we were all pushed on one side and I thought we needed the extra room. I mean, that is the space of the Senate. And uh, I did, we did remodel the above where the pro tem and I offered that to the press because when this building was built, that was supposed to be where the press was just like in the house mm -hmm. and they refused and I thought, well, game on. Well, I just mentioned that because I'm a former Capitol reporter myself. I understand your reasoning and it's too late now because, it's, you know, it, it because, because the, it's been remodeled. I just had a lot of nostalgic moments at that press table. I remember former Senator Coster came up to me once um, and looked at how large my computer was and then proceeded to make fun of how big my computer was in front of all my colleagues. And um, I, I don't mention that uh, to be mean to former Senator Coster, it, it was kind of just an example of how being on the floor allowed you to get close with a lot of senators. So there, that was, it, I, I understand it's your decision. We had Senator Pierce over there pulling one of his little funnies one day and dumped yeah. a cup of coffee into a, a press's computer and fried it. And, you know, we had to buy another computer for the press. So, I mean, that's the way it is. Yeah. Change, but you know what? You know, I'll stand by my decision. That's the way it goes. In, in the last few minutes, I kind of want you to kind of reflect more broadly on your legislative service. You're going to be termed out in a couple of years. Mm -hmm. I, I didn't know this, but you're close to 70 years old. I thought you well, were you actually— you had to bring that up? I actually thought you were a lot younger, to be oh, honest. You well, look no, great. No. Well, you know? I had— you know, you're trying to get on my— Now I'm trying my, to get on your good side after a, asking a tough question. But, no. but, my, but my point is, like— you know, I, I always thought that there was a possibility that you might run for statewide office one day, but it seems like you're kind of 
hitting the end of the, the legislative road. You gave a lot of your committee money to other candidates last time. Is, is, this, is this the end for Ron Richard in the next couple of years? Well, maybe we'll talk about that another year. I suspect it may be. Um, I've been luckier than most people deserve in state government. I mean, I, when I walked in watching the House back in the 90s, and I saw Bob Griffin up there with the boutonniere, and I thought, boy, what a great spot that would be. If I could, you know, if a guy could ever just get in that room in the House and just do what, well, that happened. I never thought I would be Speaker of the House because I ran against a good friend of mine, Alan Isett. Yeah, who and I think lives in Alaska he's now Alaska. Or matter of fact, he just called the other day, won some signatures on some bills, so he's getting some things ready for his kids when he was a budget chairman. By the way, he may have been one of the best budget chair in the history of the, this building. He, he was, was very. He was also very accessible was, as well, but continue. Very, anyway, um, I never thought I would be Speaker of the House, and then when I came to the Senate, I was floundering around, and I didn't know. I was on economic development, so I started working towards that again, working for what I could do to make our opportunities in Missouri a little better. And then members came to me and said, we want you to run for majority leader two years after. And I said, I really don't know if I want to do that. He said, well, it'll make any difference. We have the votes anyway. So I was majority leader. You beat Mike Parson, I think, right? Yeah. It worked out well for him, though. You know. Yeah, and Mike and I, yeah, he was one of my uh, primary chairmen in the House when he, uh, we were there together. And, yeah, there might have been some hard feelings on that. And, and time to run for office, there, there generally is. But as it turned out, Mike is now lieutenant governor. I think it worked out better for him, and he's, he's doing a great job. He's, yeah, he's a nice guy. And so, and then I moved on to president pro tem of the Senate, too, after Tom Dempsey left. So I, I had a chance to run lieutenant governor some years ago, but when the, when the tornado hit Joplin, I thought, which called Brad Locker called me once, said, you know, if, if, if you want to run, I'll back out. And I said, I just can't do it. I got too much work down here yeah. with, with all these people, 161 dead. And uh, I got a swath 16 miles long by a mile wide. I got to pay attention down here and help rebuild it. So that took care of that. I've had a number of opportunities to run for governor. Thank goodness I didn't do it this time because I don't have, I can raise money. I'm pretty good at raising money. Yeah. I'm not sure I'm on the level what's going on this time with the millions of dollars that's well, they raised 20, 30, It, it was a million. lot, but because you had a lot of money built up, you gave a couple hundred thousand dollars to, like, Senator Rowden, and I have to imagine that doing that helped him win a very tight race. So even though you're not running personally, and maybe this is fluffery and, and, and praise, it does seem like your decision not to run for something had an, a positive impact for your party because you shared the wealth, so to speak. Is, is that well, fair I've, to say? And I don't like talking about money in this in this building but with the philosophy of it i'm a pretty good fundraiser i've raised a lot of money over time and i've given almost all of it away to increase the majority as your point and uh, i'll continue doing that because i think our majority is important i work on um, i'm already thinking about redistricting no one else is thinking about it i've already talked to governor Greitens about it i i've been thinking about it for a year, even though I'll be gone, need to set the stage. Um, I'm very, I'm very open to issues that's uh, 20 years down the road. Clean water, I want to make sure that we have plenty of water. I think that's going to be the new oil. I think um, um, good leadership, go out and re recruit good people. So I'm trying to get set things up after I'm gone. My last question for you, what has changed the most since you entered the legislature in 2003? People don't keep their word. 
Used to be here, your word was your bond. These young guys coming in, and, and some of the middle-aged ones, don't keep their word. Um, and there's going to be a price to pay one of these days. Because you don't keep your word with me, and some have paid that price already. Your bill's dead. Um, but in the same vein, make sure when you give your word, you have all the information in order to give your word. I mean, sometimes you get people walking in a guy's office and say, I, you don't want to do this and then okay I'll help you fine you got my vote the next guy comes in they figure well, maybe I should overcommit it and they say, get all the information but once you keep your word around here that's your bond and I'm talking about from the bureaucratic from the lobbyists and from the elective side if once you lose that you lose all confidence with me us Millennials are devious people as I'm not talking about you I'm not talking about Millennials I'm talking about people of all ages and all uh, all different sizes that's been going on around here it's been getting worse um, but, but it kind of goes to your point, like you mentioned before, when you came into legislative politics, you were a lot older and a lot more professionally established, and that might have helped your, your mindset, and you may have had a different moral compass about that. But <clears throat> Well, my word's my bond, and if I tell you something, Jason, that's the way it's going to be. Absolutely. So I just want to thank you very much for taking time out of your busy schedule to talk with me. Uh, for all of our stories, stlpublicradio.org. Follow me on Twitter at Jay Rosenbaum. I think you can follow the senator on Twitter at Rock. I don't, I don't Twitter. You don't Twitter? I don't, you do have a Twitter account, I, though. Well, Lauren handles it, but I don't do social media. That's a good way to get in trouble. Yeah. I figure if you want something, just come ask me, Jason. Yeah. And then I, I'd like to come to St. Louis sometime, and I want to you know, joust with uh, your other combatants on uh, your radio uh, and Joe Manis. Joe, and, and you have a third one on there from time to time. We have a third one from time to time, but as we always did for Senator Dempsey, you are invited anytime you're in St. Louis. I'll, I'll do that. I'll do that. I'll, for, I'll try to do that. And I appreciate your time. Until next time, so long.